0: Afterwards, and this gives us an opportunity to really be challenged as we move into the fall spiritual growth experience. Thanks, Sean. Thank you you for that. Um, I have a confession this morning. Don't want to be awkward and start it out this way, but I do need to confess something to you this morning. And it seems like a lot of you all know me because you're just sitting there laughing. You know, this isn't serious, but um, I, I need to confess that I am a clean freak. Um, what? I'm not alone this time? First service, I was alone. This is awesome. Um, wow. You know, so much so that I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm, I'm actually proud of being a clean freak because throughout history, there have been a lot of famous clean freaks. Um, and let, let, let's show you a couple of these. Maybe, maybe you remember Felix Unger. Um, he is a well-known historical figure who was a, okay, these guys are from TV shows, but uh, Felix Unger. There's also Danny Tanner, um, the guy that cleaned his own cleaning supplies, um, and in that same vein, Monica Geller would vacuum her own vacuum, so everything needs to be spotless. But my favorite, the one that I identify with the most, is is Mr. Monk here. Um, I do have a lot of those tendencies, and I am proud of the gifts that God has given me. Um, I, I have been, their names have actually been used as my nicknames around home. I get called monk quite frequently. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that I have quite the developed gifts that some of them do. Some of them have to have psychological treatment for the, the level of their giftedness. And I don't think I'm quite there yet, but just to, to give my wife uh, peace of mind, I did a little research. And in my research... I found that there's actually different types of clean freaks. There's, there's the the one that likes cleanliness. Every everything has its place. That that that's me. I was the kid that um, when I was young, when I would I would always put a toy away before I would get another toy out. I, I didn't have multiple toys out because that's that's just a mess. Who who can who would like that? Um, I, I always made my bed. Uh, college I. I did my own laundry and loved it. Look forward to Saturday mornings because that means everything would be neatly folded and put away and in its place. Um, what can I say? I've learned through, through my studies also um, that there are, there's, there's subgroups to this as well. I'm what's known as a helicopter clean freak. Um, I love to, to follow people around and and to just wait for them to put things in the wrong place. And then I, I, I help them out by putting it in the right place. <laughs> I, it's just a service I offer um, if you're interested. Uh, my wife loves this, she can testify to this. It, it makes mealtime prep so much easier for her to know that I'm there to, to, to come along and, and, and help out, do it right. Um, I will be making all the meals for the next week in my house if, if you're hungry. Um, but I've, I've learned that I've, I've kind of carried this gift to my work here at the church too over the last year. Um, I was in uh, Pastor Nick's office a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Nick's office, and um, we'd been talking for about 15 minutes or so. And I realized, kind of embarrassed a little bit, that I was picking up trash and I was rearranging his desk and his work table. Who does that? Well, I do, and I'm proud of it. (laughs) That's my gift. So that's one type of clean freak. The other type of clean freak is the one that's scared of germs and bacteria and stuff. I don't have such a problem with that. That's not a big deal to me. I don't mind getting dirty. It gives me a chance to clean up. Um, But my friend Matthew down in Texas, he falls into this category. Uh, We went on to visit him many years ago. I had a child who was still in diapers at the time, and so we go to their house to visit, And we are sitting, um, having dessert. Our child is in the next room. um, And this child comes in, holds up their hand and says, Look, Mama. And I'm thinking, Where did they get brown finger paint? And then I saw the horrified look on my wife's face and realized, That's not finger paint. So she quickly scoops up the child, takes them into the next room to change their diaper. And a few seconds later, I hear, Uh, Sean, help, please. I go in the next room and realize that I wasn't the only one that thought it was brown finger paint. Um, this child had completely redecorated one of their brand new microfiber chairs and, and did a very thorough job of it as well. Um, but this gives me a chance to come in clean, got got it all off. The chair looked brand new, everything was in order. I thought everything's great until about six months when we returned for another visit, and they had a completely new set of furniture. So if there's any good news that comes out of this, I realize that I have an artist in the family um, because this child's first painting, cost several thousand dollars. Um, So good news there. Um, So what's the big deal about cleanliness? In the physical world, we can say that it promotes order, that it, it promotes good health, even safety in some areas when everything's cleaned up and tidy. But how does that relate to our spiritual lives? How does that transfer over uh, to the spiritual world, to our spiritual lives? Um, You know, in in church lingo, cleanliness is related to sinlessness. Uh, To be clean in a spiritual sense is to be without sin. And as a Christ follower, that's what I I want for my life. I want to be clean of sin. Um, But for some reason, I keep sinning sin keeps popping up Um, just like my house and my car and nick's office i keep getting dirty um and and i can't seem to help it so i have one big question as it relates to this and that is where does sin come from where does sin come from and i'm going to assume that since you're here in church worshiping god this morning that at some point in time you've had this same question too and you may have it now um Is there someone that you are blaming for your sin? Because that's kind of the tendency we have sometimes is to look around and say, well, it must be their fault. It's not my fault. Or maybe we blame the environment that we lived in or we were raised in um, for the reasons why we sin. Um, Or is there some other reason? Um, We'll be in Mark chapter 7 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. We'll be in Mark 7 verses 14 through 23, and in this passage we'll be looking at Jesus' response to a question asked by the Pharisees. You see, the religious leaders in Jesus' time blamed sin on those who did not live according to the tradition of the elders. Jesus is going to counter this thought by making it clear that sin is not an external issue, but it's an internal issue. Sin is an issue of the heart. So let's look at this complete passage now, and then we'll come back and look at the context for it. Um, Starting in verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, here Jesus is responding to this accusation made by the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. And to understand this response, we need to know what the question was, what the accusation was, rather. We need to go back and look just a little bit back into this book of Mark. Mark 6 And the chapters preceding, Mark gives episode after episode of everything that Jesus is doing. Specifically in 6, he's walking on water, he's feeding the 5,000, he's healing people left and right. Here are the Jewish people that have been waiting for a Messiah for hundreds of years. This Messiah has been prophesied uh, for hundreds of years, and they're waiting for this Messiah to come along. And along comes Jesus, who's making a pretty good case that he is that Messiah. But well, what is their response, especially the Jewish leaders? One day as he and his disciples come in from ministry and they go to the marketplace and they sit down to have a bite to eat, they're exhausted, they're tired, they get their food and they start eating and they say, the religious leaders say, um, excuse me, sir, um, your men there, your, your so-called disciples, they didn't wash their hands. They're eating with dirty hands. They are, that's not right. Why are you letting them do that? Um, more specifically, he says this in, in seven, chapter 7, verse 5. Um, they say, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So they're, they're concerned about the disciples' unwashed hands. Um, not so much in a, in a clean, freak kind of way like me. And they're not worried about bacteria and germs. But this phrase, the tradition of the elders, points out that maybe they think that these guys have broken some type of religious rule, some type of religious law. Um, So what is the tradition of the elders? What were they referring to? Um, It helps to know a little bit about the Jewish law in order to to, to see what's going on here. Uh, When we think of the tradition of the elders, you may be tempted to think that, oh, they're talking about the Old Testament. Well, there's actually two types of laws. There's the written law. And there's the oral law. So the written law is what we have here in the first five books of our Bible. Um, You may have heard this called the Torah. That's what the the Jewish people call it. Uh, Or the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses. But that is the written law. That's the law that God gave to Moses. And Moses came down and penned it down so the people would have it with them always. Um, But the religious leaders felt that they needed to add to this through the years, so they had the oral law. These were traditions that were passed down orally from rabbi to rabbi throughout the centuries, um, and they were considered equal with the written law. They were to be followed in the same way, in the same manner. They were just extra and added to what God had given to Moses. now the intention of the religious leaders in compiling this, these traditions was it was good and honorable. They meant well. What they were trying to do was to take God's law. These, the rabbis would say that there's 613 laws in the written law. They're trying to take these and make them applicable to the people so that they'll know exactly what they need to do each and every minute of the day. Um, so the, the, the reason for the written law, it was meant to foster a relationship between the people and God, um, to show them how they could be in a relationship with God. Unfortunately, uh, the oral law created this relationship with perfectionism. Um, It created a hard, legalistic society. um, Made it almost impossible for them to ever get it right, because there were always oral laws being added. Uh, to each and everything that they had to do. So let's bring this back to our passage uh, and the specific law or the specific tradition that they have concern with and that they're taking issue with in this passage. Um, There actually is a written law in the Bible that talks about how the high priest, before he goes into the Holy of Holies, he's supposed to wash his hands. It's a ceremonial cleansing of being clean, pure, and holy before he goes in to meet with God. Well, the oral tradition comes along and applies that to everybody else because a little bit leviticus 19 2 says that since god is holy we're to be holy too so since this one written law applies to the priest well we need to apply that to everybody so they came up with world traditions on when they were to wash their hands how they were to wash their hands before the meal what they were supposed to do with the napkin everything um And so this this is the tradition that they're taking issue with, with the disciples. So the law itself was was dealing with the priests, but the traditions, they branched out and they scooped everybody in, and they were for everybody. So how did Jesus respond to their accusation? Um, He got straight to the point and showed them why their tradition was wrong. Here in verse 6 of chapter 7, he said, You leave the commandment of God, that is the written law, and hold to the tradition of men. That's the oral law. He's basically saying you've you've set aside God's law and the intention intention of His law, and now you follow these traditions of men that were created by men. Um, So let's let's get to our passage now, um, and we'll unpack these verses, verses 14 through 23. And he begins by showing two misconceptions the Pharisees had. Um, and then I believe we still have today, starting in verse 14. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So this is the first misconception that Jesus uncovers. And that's this the Jewish tradition led to the belief that a person is defiled by what is on the outside. Um, So here Jesus is gonna answer their question, uh, but not in the way that they intended. You see, they asked this moral law, but applied it to the physical world. He's gonna answer this moral question and apply it to the spiritual world, to the spiritual life. He corrected their belief by teaching that there is nothing outside of a person, nothing in the physical world that can make us sinful, that can defile us. Jesus also highlights uh, the principle that we'll discuss more here in a few minutes. It um, shows a contrast between what they think, what they believe, and what they're teaching, and what God believes and teaches as truth. And that principle is this. Sin comes from the heart. Pretty simple, easy to remember. Sin comes from the heart, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, There we're talking about the heart, not the physical heart, but that place, uh, that figurative heart within us where our thoughts and our emotions and our will come from. That's where sin originates. Uh, But the Pharisees taught that it was unwashed hands that made a person unclean, uh, that defiled the disciples, that made them sinful. But Jesus was teaching that sin is actually rebellion in the heart and disobedience to God's command that makes us unclean. So the Jews are worried about appearance, um, what they did physically in response to the law. One problem with this misconception that that sin comes from the outside is that we tend to blame things on the outside for our own sin instead of admitting where sin really comes from. Um, Have you ever blamed someone else for your sin? you ever thought, well, it can't be my fault. It must be their fault. Um, Our kids do that all the time, don't they? He did it. She did it. Wasn't me. Dog ate my homework. You've heard all of those. We're guilty of that too. We may highlight the kids doing that. I know I did it as a kid as well. But we we tend to do that sometimes because we don't want to humble ourselves to the point where we take ownership for our own sin. I know as a teenager I did this. Um, I blamed my parents for my rebellion and the choices I made. I had a dad that had to travel out of the country for, for almost two years while I was in high school. I blamed him because, well, he wasn't around to tell me what to do. I also blamed my mom because she was full of grace and mercy, which are wonderful things. But at the time, it was easy for me to use that as an excuse for my own sin because, well, I can get away with what I want to because nobody's unfortunate. Nobody cares. It must be okay. Uh, luckily, God intervened and showed me the truth. It reminded me that I am responsible for my sin, not not my parents or not anybody else. Sometimes we blame the environment in which we were raised, the environment in which we live now. Um, there's some really hard, harsh places out there in the world. Uh, there are some hard homes that are hard to live in. There are hard, difficult relationships that we find ourselves in. and These are real, painful situations. Um, but do they force us? to sin, or is that just how we choose to cope? Um, We need to get away from blaming others and blaming the environment that we find ourselves in for our sin. Now, Jesus uh, taught that just as sin doesn't originate on the outside of us, it does not originate from what comes into us either. Uh, We can't blame those things that we allow into our life. Here in chapter uh, 7, verse 17, he goes on to say, um, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. H- how many of you all did that in school? You waited for all of the classroom to leave, and they said, oh, oh yeah, I, d- I did have a question. Um, you know, we could say it's because we're shy or we're too introverted to talk in front of everybody else, but doesn't it come down to pride? We just, we just don't want to admit that we don't know the answer sometimes or we don't understand what's going on. I kind of think that's what the disciples are doing here. Um, they, they've kind of lifted themselves and placed themselves on this, this pedestal where we can't let anybody else that we don't know what Jesus is talking about. But now that they're alone, they, they, they let down their guard a little bit and say, okay, what, what is going on? What, what does this mean? And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? You, my disciples, is, is it true that you don't understand either what's going on? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all all foods clean. Now, here I want to point out the second misconception that that the Pharisees had, and that's the belief that what was brought into the body could make one sinful. Um, Just as nothing on the outside can make you sinful, nothing that you bring in or allow into your life can make you sinful. Um, Jesus is speaking spiritually here. He's saying that we cannot blame those things that we allow in. Um, And he explains this uh, or explains the difference using simple human biology. That's right. He's going to teach some science here. Um, What he does is he follows their tradition on through to completion. Um, You see, they said that what goes into the body physically can make you unclean spiritually. But what he does is he he says, no, wait a minute. If it's coming in physically, it it doesn't go to your heart, either physically or figuratively. It goes to the stomach, it's digested, and then it's passed out. So this this tradition that you have doesn't even make sense. Um, Therefore, there must be something else that makes a person unclean, uh, that causes them to sin. Now, in the context of this passage, they are talking about Traditions of washing hands and physical food that comes into the body. But what, what do we allow into our lives today, uh, that we try to blame for our sin? What are some of the things that we allow into our life, into our mind um, or into our body, that we try to place the blame for our sin? How about the influence of media and entertainment? How about the abuse of food and alcohol? How about the thoughts and the ideas and the, the customs and the culture of other people uh, that we associ- associate ourselves with? We allow those things to come into us, but are they the reason that we choo- to se- choose to sin? And we can be tempted by these. Um, they, they, they do have an influence upon us, but are they the cause of our sin? Or do we still have a choice in the matter? Uh, so it's not, what comes, it's not what's out there. It's not what comes in. So where does sin come from? Um, what causes it? Uh, this brings us back to that principle that Jesus introduced earlier. Um, and it's this, that sin is an internal problem. Sin comes from the heart. Starting in verse 20. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man... No, he's not blaming all men. This is from humanity. Everyone is included in on this. Um, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What is in our heart determines how we respond to what is on the outside. And what is already in our heart determines how we respond to what we allow into our life, what we bring into our minds and into our bodies. Um, The state of our spiritual lives is revealed in our actions. Now, I know that in a day and age when all we want are happy thoughts and people to think happy things about us and tell us how wonderful we are, Sometimes we, we find excuses for not dealing with our own sin. Um, sometimes we need to stop sugarcoating it, seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, as they say, and, and come to terms with the fact that the sin comes from our own heart. And I know I'm getting personal there, but I think we need that sometimes. Um, Jesus begins listing the sins he is referring to, and, and I, I think he does a pretty good job of covering them all, doesn't he? That's nice not an exhaustive list, but I think those are pretty big, broad categories for covering all sin. Uh, First list there in verse 21 lists wicked actions that we perform, and the next list lists uh, sinful intentions that we have in our mind and in our heart. Um, But I want you to look at that list there in verses 21 and 22 just, just for a minute. Which of those items are forced upon you? Which of those items are you forced to do? Any of them? Or which ones do you have a choice in the matter? Which ones do you have to choose to do? You see, we still have a choice in the matter, and that choice is based upon what we have in our heart. Um, I think the last one kind of wraps up the whole list pretty nicely. Foolishness. Um, Proverbs has a lot to say about the fool and his foolishness. Um, And it pretty much wraps up everything. All sin is foolishness. But I tend to think that, that Jesus is just a little ornery, too. You, you see episodes of this throughout uh, the Gospels. I, I think he's maybe pointing to the traditions of, of men and saying, here you are trying to add to the perfect and complete law, the complete word of God. What utter foolishness you're trying to follow. The Religious leaders followed tradition more than they followed God, um, And Christ wasn't impressed. Jesus made it clear that sin does not come from the outside influences uh, that we allow to come into our lives. Sin comes straight from the heart. It comes from my heart, and it it comes from your heart. So now what? What do you do now that you know or have been reminded of where sin really comes from, that, that you're really responsible for the sin that you perform, that it comes from your heart? I think it's time for a checkup. I think it's time for a heart check. Um, I want to challenge you uh, to apply this message this morning. Uh, please don't just walk away and say, okay, I've got my checkmark for the week. But allow God to use the truth of His Word to change your life. So I have three challenges for you this week. Um, if you choose to remember them, choose to do them, choose to write them down, that that's your business. But I want to challenge you to do three things. First, uh, pray and repent. Uh, Pastor Rod and Pastor Josh will be, be uh, beginning a six-week series in prayer starting next week. But I want I want you to get just a little bit ahead. I want you to pray this week um, and specifically asking God to reveal any sin in your life, in your heart, that you may not be aware of. Um, this takes some humility. It may take a minute or two out of your morning, um, but that's how God transforms us as we come before Him, uh, as we humble ourselves and we say, okay, God, an open book. Sh- show me what, wh- where, what sin I have in my life, how I need to change, um, and, and repent. Repent of that sin as He reveals it. Uh, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's, it's an act of going before God and walking away with the intention of making a change uh, based on what you've, you've asked forgiveness for, changing your life so that you no longer com- commit those sins that you've asked for forgiveness for. So pray and and repent. I'd also ask you to read. Um, Talked about Proverbs a few minutes ago and the the wisdom that is there. Um, As you pray to God to reveal sin in your life and as he cleanses your heart of that, open up to the book of Proverbs and allow God to fill your life um, with his wisdom that's found there. Um, I challenge you to read one book of Proverbs a day. Um, Some of you all have probably done this. It's as easy as looking at the calendar, seeing what day it is, and then go into that chapter uh, in Proverbs. So tomorrow is, is the third of September. Open up to Proverbs 3 tomorrow and just read it and, and, and ask God to reveal some wisdom that you can apply to your life. And the third one here is it's, it's about accountability. I, w- I want you to share with others, whether today as you're leaving or after you get home, share with them what you've learned from God's Word. Share with them that you've accepted this challenge and that you're going to be doing this every day. And then commit to them that you're going to come back to them um, at the end of the week. Um, and during this week, I want you to stop and think about and, and and maybe acknowledge, look for some things that God is doing in your life, some changes that He's bringing about, some sin that He's revealed. Um, I, I can't believe that there won't be at least the smallest change in your life if you take time to pray to Him, to repent, and to spend time in His Word. Um, so, be prepared to do that. I'd love to hear that you're doing it. I'd love even more if you were to come back and tell people, I did this, and this is what I saw God do in my life. I think you can do it. It's just seven days. I'm not going to make you sign a contract. I believe you can do this. Last week, we heard from Pastor Rod and his message about worship and the fact that the love of God that we have in our hearts um, should be physically evident in our lives. It should be seen on the outside. Um, but I believe from this message today that it's also true that the sin in our lives, in our heart, is also revealed on the outside. Um, other people can, can see evidence of that as well. Um, so again, I challenge you to do this. And, and as you do this, I want you to imagine now uh, what a life would be like free of sin. Li- imagine living that life. Imagine the impact it can have on your family. Um, if you begin to confess sin, if you begin to allow God to cleanse you of the sin and you begin to walk freely, uh, no longer trying to hide what is in your life. Um, can you imagine the impact to our church if we were to do this on a daily basis? Um, how devoted we would be to God and to serving Him in everything that we do. Can you imagine, go out from there, can you imagine the impact to our town um, when people start going, hey, what's happening at Grace? Those people, there's evidence there that they're devoted to God. We can see it on the outside. We can see it in their lives. So pray and repent. Um, Read from the book of Proverbs and share that with others. Um, I know you can do it. God bless. Pastor Rod.